I'm Betches co-founder Jordana Abraham, and this episode is brought to you by Instacart. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on, while she's sneezing, coughing, aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us, trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues to tea to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker of yours. Betches Media presents. A lot of them aren't even pretending to be in charge. Slow the testing down. Remove him from office. No justice, no peace. Cast a vote that will make you proud. The Betches Sup Podcast. Will you Who shut is up, man? Listen? Hello, and welcome to the Betches Sup Podcast. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Brian Russell Smith. I'm Sammy Sage. And the Betches Up Podcast is your daily rundown of all the craziest shit going on in the news brought to you by your four funniest friends. Which is Which us. Is us. Happy Friday, guys. We're 11 days out. How's it feel? Ah! <laughs> I'm completely <sighs> numb to the situation. Yeah. Just It alternately feels like it's so close and like I'm like it's so far and I just want it to be happening now. I don't like feel any Same. sense of like, okay, if, if I believed that like it would be over and done and decided and like no more drama on November 4th, I'd be like, okay, I'd be like excited. But because to me, there's like no definitive endpoint of this, like yeah. it could mm-hmm. be November 4th. It could like, who knows how long we'll be just like in a kind of purgatory for. So I'm not like, yeah. I'm not like counting on the 11 day thing. I'm just like, all right, we're just going along and we'll see. And maybe we'll get our lives back in January or maybe we won't. We'll see. I know the electors count their votes on the 14th, I think of December, right? Something or something like that. Yeah. Somewhere around that. I don't feel comfortable at any time. (laughs) You know, like like, overall, (laughs) overall, like I am anxious person. Like, and it's just being heightened and you know and like even like while i sleep i'm like oh i'm sweating because i like dreamt about the debate last night it's not fun that's horrible you have trump it's derangement horrible. syndrome i do that's well it's also true. it's like i i can't deal like why are these why well it's over now but why do they have to go till 11 p.m that is fucking ridiculous like i, I know, need to go to, like, like... I go to bed at 10 p.m so like no. i need i don't want and then i don't want to stay up again for another hour and like t- try and decompress. I usually just go to bed and I was just like miserable. Democracy yeah, and I wake up never at six sleeps. in a panic no matter what. Never yeah. sleeps. That's or democracy <gasps> yeah. dies in darkness is I mm-hmm. guess more appropriate. But yeah, I watched Depending um, on your mood. I watched like the first almost hour of Borat after the debate. Um and then I fell asleep. I couldn't make it to the Giuliani scene, but I can I finished this morning. So I'm excited to hear people's reactions to it. Oh goodness. Yeah. I don't know if I'm excited to watch, but it's on my list. And was like, oh, I'll watch a bunch of cute Halloween movies over the weekend. But maybe I should. (laughs) I'm like, I want to see it, but I just like, I don't want to see Rudy Giuliani behaving in a sexual manner. (laughs) Like, I just don't. Yeah. I don't need to see his like horny face. Like, (laughs) I believe he's a creep without seeing that. (laughs) Honestly, it was it was worth seeing. You should okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's yeah. good. That makes okay. me not. It's like watch. not as. I don't want to set any expectations for everyone. Just, just it's it's a piece of Americana that must be seen. <laughs> okay. Got it. That sounds okay. great. That's a ringing endorsement. Yeah. So last night, of course, was the final debate of the 2020 presidential election. You guys, we've been doing this since June. 2019 when they had 20 candidates and two nights of debates oh so tired so tired i think that's why last night honestly felt like a breeze it felt speedy because it's just been 90 commercial free minutes as opposed to two nights of two hour debates with people i barely know oh my god Mm -hmm. and like they were all competing to speak spanish and like (laughs) (laughs) and marianne williamson was like i'm a ghost and we were like oh my god (laughs) 
Yeah, I applauded last night when it ended. I was like, because I can't sit down while I watch them anymore for some reason. Like, so my boy Antonio was like laying on the couch with the dog, like chillaxing. And I'm just like standing up. I'm like, oh, he's lying. He's lying. And then it ended. And I'm just like, I like clapped. I was just like, it was very cathartic. Are we getting a debate TikTok for last night? Oh, maybe, 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 maybe soon. <laughs> that was the last time we're going to have to watch Donald Trump debate, whether he wins mm-hmm. or loses, because if he wins, even if he becomes a dictator, then he still won't debate again. So we're That's not, <laughs> not going to have to watch him debate again. That was the last time. I didn't time. know. I didn't know how you were going to get around the fact that he could win and then steal every subsequent election, but that's exactly he it. We just won't, yeah, why he would he won't debate? debate? So we at yeah. least know that he, we will not have to watch him debate anyone ever again. <laughs> it could have been the last presidential debate ever. <laughs> right. That's really finding, that's the, finding the silver linings here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> In any event, it was Donald Trump's final debate. So, his last chance to to persuade the public that he's better than Joe Biden in any way. Um, as of yesterday, I think five, 50 million people have already voted. Trump seemed to understand that he couldn't be like an actual infant. It seems like maybe he graduated to like toddler or mm-hmm. pre-K. What are our what are our general impressions? Was it a good debate, both objectively and just relatively to the other debates? Sammy, what do you think? Well- well, to answer that question, you'd have to define good debate. But so yeah. I don't I don't know the answer to that question. But I, is there such thing as a good debate? I don't know. I think that like everyone is giving the president a lot of credit because he didn't like literally dive at Biden and like physically attack him in a rabid fashion. Like, I don't think we should be giving brownie points just because he wasn't as crazy or crazier than last time, which is the bar that we measure him by. Like, as long as he's not as crazy as he's ever been, we tend to give him credit. And I don't want to give him credit because he said a host of insane things last night. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing, he lied. I believe Daniel Dale, the fact checker from CNN, said that he lied more than in the first debate. So, like, no, he was not better than in the first debate. How do you talk less but equal, lie more? He was equally terrible and i don't he's it's like i'm so sick of watching this infant exist in front of me like i just want him to go away yeah i would actually personally say that i preferred the other debate because at least it actually represented what we're looking at like what was the Jake Tapper mm-hmm. quote? Like a shit show inside of a train wreck inside of a dumpster fire. Like that's what we actually are dealing with. And so I honestly would rather see that play out than see the shit show inside of a dumpster fire, inside of a train wreck, put on a suit and <laughs> wobble around on stage for a while and pretend to be a normal man. Well, that's why it was so frustrating for me is because he was trying to say these things he every time he was speaking he was trying to say things that were fact that were actual lies like he was just <laughs> lying the entire time he lied about he's lying about this like like laptop story which like thankfully with this story is so convoluted that it's not it's not like attainable like to understand like i follow politics and i still don't understand what the argument that they're trying to make with these like laptops and stuff so like and but like it's just every every sentence out of his fucking mouth was a lie and like he kept harping back to this china the the buildings with the small windows and like 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 the like like just like he's gonna raise taxes like every single thing he was saying was just categorically untrue and then then it was just them being like that's not and then it would be biden like well that's not true this is what's actually happening and then trump which is and then he would say something that was real and then trump would say it wasn't true so it was like a he said he said the entire time Right. You could also tell that Trump was like looking, he kept looking in the audience and like making eye contact with someone. My personal guess is that it was Ivanka and that she was yeah. trying to like keep him under control with her eyes or something by eye fucking him, maybe. <laughs> like, because he did go close to crazy shit that you could see mm-hmm. him pull back from, mm-hmm. like when he mentioned Hillary Clinton and he wanted to go there and he almost went there, but then he was like, some you could see that something like stopped him and 
I mean, the stuff about Joe Biden not being from Scranton and the filthy country, the filthy countries and the least racist. Like he just the least racist. He, he I'm just, the least like, racist person in the room. His entire family is in the room. It's crazy for him to say that to Kristen Welker, but it's also yeah. so funny to be like, I'm the least racist person in the room. And like your wife is sitting in front of you. <laughs> all of your children like <laughs> right yeah. i yeah i think if this was the first you're right people are saying oh it was a good debate he seemed disciplined he seemed like he knew what he wanted to do but yeah if this was the first time you'd ever seen donald trump you would be absolutely appalled you would be i know appalled. more about wind than you like that's wild like that's a thing that we're saying he was restrained <laughs> right and he doesn't care about the dead birds he doesn't care no he does not care about the dead birds and I think a lot about argument. people that have, whose job it is to pick the up the birds. The birds hate the windmills. Which why, I'm sure why, they do, but you know what? Why is he better? dying on this hill? Why is he dying on this hill? With like, the birds on the hill. Forget the windmill, man. Like, Jesus, move on. Also, this is like, bizarre, like, race to the bottom about fracking and, like, Donald Trump trying to catch Joe Biden in, like, a, he's like the people in Pennsylvania. Like, he, 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 like, has such a simplistic way of thinking that he thinks, like, Almost, I think that he thinks that Joe Biden commenting on certain things would be like playing a game of operation, like with pro- mm-hmm. like against progressives. Like if he gets too close to certain issues, he thinks that that's going to like screw Joe Biden up and like make him lose. But like, I just don't think that anything sticks to Joe Biden in the same way because like he's been a stat. He was the vice president. Like people, yeah. they, like like he's and- very mm-hmm. clear who he is. And he like the shady politician thing doesn't stick to him because he's not yeah, really I, shady. Yeah. And I think that was one of his best moments was when he's like, this guy is confused. He doesn't know who he's running against. My name is Joe Biden. Like I beat all yeah. those other guys. And it was like, that I, was, yeah. and that pretty much just shut down that line of attack from Trump. I also right. thought that was really effective, Brian, when he made a point to say, I notably do not believe those things. And I beat all the people that do. Because yeah. I am different. The left mm-hmm. is always being really mean to me because yeah. I, they're <laughs> mad at me all the time yeah. and tweeting at me because I it's don't like, believe. Like go on TikTok. They're all settling for Biden. What are you yeah. talking about? <laughs> exactly. Like you live on Twitter, dude. You know what the people yeah. are saying. <laughs> right, right. Like we love AOC plus three. We're meh for Joe Biden. Yeah. But we're voting yeah. for him. I actually other, love Joe Biden. Yeah, I yeah, actually I'm like very fond of Joe Biden. But the... The the other thing is that like because okay Joe Biden was known like as kind of this like gaff machine like he'd always say what he'd always make the grave mistake of saying what he really thinks and like that is what people think of Joe Biden like so all of this like affability and this like he's kind of like oopsie yeah, yeah. oopsie just says a stupid things sometimes like that is now all working for him. Because people yeah. aren't going to turn around and be like, "Oh, that slick talker, Joe Biden." Like, yes, yeah. yes, they they low the the Trump campaign and the Republicans and the right wing media all lowered the expectations for Joe Biden as well. Like, like they all said he had dementia, he was sleepy, he was tired, he was old. So all he has to do is not like fall asleep during a debate and not like say something crazy, and he wins. Even calling yeah. him socialist yeah. is like he all he has to do is be like a tad under socialist and like you don't buy it. Like he's he's so clearly yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He didn't even really. And this is also not something he control, but like he, Biden didn't even really stammer that much last night, which I just feel like means he's like feeling good. He knows he's got it. It's going to be yeah. fine. Let's get into some of the substance, which there was a decent amount of. So this debate came, there were topics, the topics were the same as the first one, other than they added like a splash of national security and climate change. Um, But the big focus was the pandemic. So Trump promised that the disease was going away, uh, while Biden called for much more aggressive federal action and said there was a dark winter ahead. Let's listen to a clip. President Trump, your reaction? I say over soon. I say we're learning to live with it. We have no choice. We can't lock ourselves up in a basement like Joe does. He has the <laughs> he has the ability to lock himself up. I don't know. He's obviously made a lot of money someplace. 
but he has this thing about living in a basement. People can't do that. By the way, I, as the president, couldn't do that. I'd love to put myself in the basement or in a beautiful room in the White House and go away for a year and a half until it disappears. I can't do that. And, Kirsten, every, t- every meeting I had, every meeting I had, and I'd meet a lot of families, including Gold Star families and military families, every meeting I had, and I had to meet them. I had to. It would be horrible to have canceled everything. I said, you know, this is dangerous. And you catch it. And, you know, I caught it. I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Great doctors, great hospitals. And now I recovered. 99.9 of young people recover. 99% of people recover. We have to recover. We can't close up our nation. We have to open our school. And we can't close up our nation. Or you're not going to have a nation. That's my favorite when he keeps saying we won't have a country like our borders are just going to dissolve or will be occupied because of what's going to happen to the country. I like the, the line. He's got this thing about being in the basement. I don't <laughs> know. Was <laughs> he's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of money. So he's going in the basement. And it's like, how does that compute? He's like, I, I can't go in the basement or a beautiful room in the White House. It's like. You almost he does that all the time. Yeah, all he the, his whole job consists of like sitting in his room and tweeting. Like I, he literally he went, went down. Bunker. He went to the bunker, <laughs> right? And also, forgot about that. Wow. Yeah, it's just um. What, why did he you, do that? that whole thing where he's like, you got a little, you you got money from somewhere. Like he keeps trying to reference this whatever New York Post Rudy Giuliani thing with the laptop that's going on. But he never actually explains it. So no one mm-hmm. knows what the hell he's talking about. He always is like, you're the big man. And it's like, no one knows. Yeah, I'm like, what is. are you talking about? He's like also trying to make stick. it seem like he's trying to like equate it to Hillary Clinton's email somehow. But like that was more comprehensible because it's like she deleted her emails. Why did you delete the emails? This one is like there was a laptop and then there was a reference to a man. And it's like, yeah. I don't know. The Moscow follow mayor's wife. <laughs> yeah. The, and we're like, we're like, what? Who? He's, here's the thing. He's also combining all of the scandals that he's made up, that he and the Russians or the Kremlin have made up together. So he yeah. confuses them, I think, in his own head. But the other key thing is that, like, literally every single thing he says about Joe Biden is projection. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. If all these scandals, like you're the big man, you del- you you're getting money from shady places, like you're talking about yourself. He's th- those are all sentences that c- describe what he does. One hundred percent. He's so, the boyfriend who's cheating on you, and then accuses you of cheating all the time. Like that's his whole thing. <laughs> yeah. It's also really? just funny to see him kind of insecure. Like he's supposed to be the rich president, but he's almost like conceding that. He's almost like, all right, big guy, you got the cash. So Wait, it's like, you're is, supposed to be a billionaire. Yeah. One of them, right. You claim, right. Also, when he keeps such a baby, like, when he's like, he, he's the, you're, he's going to cut social security. Like, no, yeah. you're going to cut social security. Like when he's like pointing at him across like the frame and it's just like, yeah. you are a toddler in this suit and yes. like well, 70 yeah. something year old man's body. And when he was doing that, he was like, Joe Biden's a socialist and he wants to cut Medicare and Medicaid and social security. And it's like, those are all social programs. You fool. Like, yeah. like <laughs> it, and then I bragged yeah. about the trillion trees program. <laughs> yeah. What the, the green new deal is going to cost a hundred trillion dollars. It's like, that is a made up number. No. Yeah. That's... He made up, he made up absolutely everything. At least I feel like you captured it perfectly. in that tweet last night that was like, Joe Biden talked about the American people and us and by our, Trump just was a victim the whole time. Mm -hmm. And Joe Biden has lost two children and a wife. He's had like incredible tragedies. And yet you never hear him say, poor me. I have never heard Joe Biden say, respond to any criticism, maybe a little bit when he first started running and he started getting like introduced to the new wave of online scrutiny. He was like, but what me? I'm Joe Biden. But I haven't seen that from him for a while. No, he always he really does um, give the mic over to other people. I remember seeing that at the DNC, like he allowed so many other people to be highlighted the way that he speaks about and taught like works with Kamala. um, He really allows her to be like a shining star next to him. 
Whereas Donald Trump, it's all about him. It's all about his own personal grievance. It's all about how everyone's mean to him. He's been the victim of every this whole time. Everyone's been so mean to him. It's not fair. Life's not fair. Da da da. I mean, he's just completely self-centered in every way. He even made fun of Joe Biden. He was like, that's typical politician stuff. When Joe Biden was like <laughs> looking to camera to be like, you know, your families are hurting. And yeah. he he has so little empathy that he couldn't see that. He couldn't see why someone would do yeah. that for any reason other than politics. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Joe Biden is like, he's like a mensch. Like, he's a good guy. And I actually remember, like, something that actually kind of, like, changed my perspective on Joe Biden was, like, around the primaries when um, everyone was kind of talking about how, like, Joe Biden had, like, captured the black vote and, like, why weren't the other candidates able to do that? And I read this something a post by someone on social media and they were basically saying how like the reason like black people know joe biden is because they watched him like play like be the vice president be like second to a black man for eight years and always showed him deference and respected him and they worked hand in hand and like they would know if if joe biden was like not able to like defer mm -hmm. to a black man and that earns that earns him respect in that community rightfully yeah. so mm -hmm. and i think that that's just who joe biden is as a person like he i don't think he i don't want to I, I don't think that he sees it as like i like you need to respect me because i'm white like genuine yeah he doesn't have anything personally at stake in being wrong you can tell when he does he gets really animated but yeah. most of the time he does he's like sure yeah what you said that sounds what do i know and it's not a personal <laughs> attack on it, whereas, whereas Trump sees everything as a personal attack. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you are searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone on any occasion. Now it's easier to find gifts made by independent sellers for all of the people in your life, like the pickleballers, I know plenty of those, the jazz fan, the artist, the pasta lover, whatever niche interest they have, you can find an incredible gift on Etsy. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there is something for everyone. There is so much pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas specifically for my dad, but my dad loves flying. He loves airplanes. He loves aviation, and he never gets sick of a cute little gift that has a reference to that. And the inventory for that on Etsy is incredible. I hope my dad lives for 200 years because I can get him a birthday present related to aviation or planes from Etsy for every single one of them, if not hundreds and hundreds of years more. There really is that much. A gifting moment is always around the corner, but whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. Another topic that animated discussion a lot was immigration. This came in sort of the broader context of, I mean, all of the just hideous things that have happened in this administration. And days after we learned from a big report that more than 500 migrant children were separated from their parents by the Trump administration and have not been reunited. They could not locate the parents that they sent back. This president insists that these minors, whether they're separated or not, are well taken care of, as are all of the people in detention. Let's listen to a clip. These 500 plus kids came with parents. They separated them at the border to make it a disincentive to come to begin with. And guess what? They cannot, it's not coyotes didn't bring them over. Their parents were with them. They got separated from their parents. Kristen, they did it. We changed the policy. Your parents were ripped, their kids were ripped from their arms and separated. And now they cannot find over 500 of sets of those parents and those kids are alone. Nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. It's criminal. It's criminal. They are so well taken care of. They're in facilities that were so clean. But some of them haven't been reunited. Good. But just ask families. one question. Who built the cages? I'd love you to ask him that. Who built the cages? So that last point about the cages and who built them, 
The New York Times called that claim misleading. So the Obama administration only broke up families at the border in very rare circumstances, still not good, um, such as if there were like questions about the familial relationship or if the person was that was really their parent or they were trying to abuse the system. Um, but the zero tolerance policy of separating all people who entered the country illegally began with the Trump administration and shoving these people into cages. The Obama administration did hold families in the same uh, enclosures, which Democrats have called cages. So sort of been part of our immigration system for far too long and something I don't think any of us think is like, okay, we're not like, <laughs> that was great, Obama. That's our favorite thing about your legacy. It was great when Obama did it, like says nobody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. I really thought that that moment where he said they're really well taken care of, like that took my breath away. Same. That was such a stunning uh, display of how evil he really he really is. Like, well, that's why I really question anyone who's like, he was so much better. Like, just because he didn't like scream that yeah. in a in a in a like very high decibel like that like you know what i mean like yeah. that like i'm sorry just because he can calmly say that the cages are great like no he's like oh yeah by the way those kids i kidnapped and then i like got and i lost the parents they're taken care of well at least and it's like 60 of those kids at least 60 of those kids were under the age of five when they were separated. They won't have any recollection of where they come from, of who their parents are. And the trauma is irreversible. Yeah. It's irreversible years. trauma. Like you and, can't. Mm -hmm. Like there's and, and it's not just for them. If they have children, same. It, that'll go down for generations. Like please, it's it's insane. Like this man is a sociopath, and everyone just acts like he's we're debating between two people, like two regular people. Like, no, yeah. you might as well have pulled this person from like, I don't know, an episode of like CSI psychopaths. The, like, the United States, <laughs> the United States has a sordid history where we have done, you know, a lot of reprehensible things. I think that this will go on that list of reprehensible Absolutely. things. This is it. And the fact that he can't even like, he says they're well taken care of. He can't even admit to like, this was a mistake. We are doing all that we can to reunite these people. It's like, it's disgusting. It is disturbing. Yeah. One of my like favorite things about this job is like things move so quickly that it's hard for us to like retain what's happened. But like, because I like post speeches and stuff, I like watch them over and over again as I'm like clipping them and stuff. And I think about Kamala's convention speech all the time where she said she had this line, which is like, we're going to remember this moment. People are going to ask us about this and like what it felt like. But we're gonna have to tell them what we did and what it felt like. And I think about that like every day. And in a mm -hmm. sense, it's sort of like, I don't wanna say it's cool. It's not cool, but it's a big responsibility. Like we have to be really present and take all of this in and not forget it. Cause you're right. It's like family separation was happening. I, I don't wanna get the amount of time wrong, maybe over a couple months, to, um, but doesn't matter the time period because those children, thousands of them are traumatized for life. For life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it also like I I know because I mean, we've all been covering this for since the beginning of the administration. Um, and I, I there was a different vibe like in the beginning when we started this, like you could there were things that you could laugh at. But then mm -hmm. like he did put kids in cages and he did these horrible things that we were like he will do. And, you know, that was debatable before it had happened. But I, yeah, yeah. I think that at this point, it is just like the, the list of atrocities and the list of insane shit that he's done. Like, I think that we're all sort of living through a very like intense trauma, and it doesn't get recognized because it like crept up on us slowly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that clip, Trump also defended his administration's immigration detention policies by claiming that only people with the lowest IQ follow the law by showing up for court proceedings. That was another moment where he sort of started to say it and they heard it in the clip. He's like, I hate to say it, but I'm going to say it. Mm -hmm. They're really, really yeah. low IQ individuals. Like, yeah. what was he trying to say? I, I think he might he have was been trying to say that only he was trying to say that only dumb people follow the law is what he was mm -hmm. trying to say. Law because he's Donald Trump. Trump. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. how he and looks also, at it. It goes back to him being like, I don't pay my taxes because I'm smart. That's what he thinks. Mr. Law and Order, 
general lieutenant law and order. Asylum seekers want to become citizens. They are actually <laughs> trying to go through a legal process to be here. Nobody, no one who has the option to like be part of the U.S legally is like nah i'd rather just be undocumented so that i can't yeah. like i can be deported at any time and i can't go to college and my kids have to be scared all the time like no one wants that these immigrants yeah. who come here especially the ones seeking asylum would much prefer to normalize their status yeah it's always the Republicans who ascribe like horrible motives that like probably they would have if they were in certain situations. <laughs> like if I were on welfare, I would exploit it. Like yeah. if I were like, <laughs> if I were accepting like food stamps, I would like try to cheat the system. Like actually I don't think most people are trying to cheat the system. I think most people are just trying to like get by, want to be safe, want to be secure, want to like have enough money to live without having to like, I don't know, like do, I don't know, resort to crazy things work two jobs yeah. well that yeah, was the other thing is like like that was another i think really good uh, moment for joe biden in the debate was when they started talking about raising the minimum wage and trump is just like explicitly like no i don't want to raise the minimum wage to 15 dollars an hour and it's like that's really the closing line you want to end this campaign on when every american knows who especially one of the ones who work minimum wage jobs know that they are not comfortable know that they are reliant upon these government subsidies and it's like so it's like this is your appeal to these voters like this is how you're gonna get these like like and then he's like oh sometimes it works it's like it, that was just such a ridiculous moment yeah nobody it's like of course the cost of living varies but nobody in nebraska is gonna be like i don't need 15 dollars an hour that's too much i'm fine well it's like oh i was i was gonna vote for joe biden but then he said he was gonna give me a raise so now we're voting for Donald Trump. It's like what? my favorite meme of the moment is the what the TikToks of people being like, like middle, like uh, lower middle class blue collar white workers when they hear Joe Biden's going to tax people who make over four hundred k and they like lose their mind. It's like what what are you doing? I mean, this is nothing new. Those kind of voters voting against their interest is nothing new. But I guess it is continually surprising that they aren't like, no, I just don't want taxes. I also don't care about all the hate and everything. And another big topic last night was race in America. So during this segment, Biden primarily highlighted how Trump has exacerbated racial tensions and Biden acknowledged systemic racism. There were a few memorable moments here. Let's listen. Continue on the issue of race. Mr. President, you've described one. the Black Lives Matter movement as a symbol of hate. You've shared a video of a man chanting white power to millions of your supporters. You've said that black professional athletes exercising their First Amendment rights should be fired. What do you say to Americans who say that kind of language from a president is contributing to a climate of hate and racial strife? Well, you have to understand, the first time I ever heard of Black Lives Matter, they were chanting pigs in a blanket talking about police, pigs, pigs, talking about our police, pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. I said, that's a horrible thing. And they were marching down the street. And that was my first uh, glimpse of Black Lives Matter. I thought it was a terrible thing. As far as uh, my relationships with all people, I think I have great relationships with all people. I am the least racist person in this room. Well, what do you say to Americans who are concerned by that rhetoric? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't videos. know what to say. I got criminal justice reform done and prison reform and opportunity zones. I took care of black colleges and universities. I don't know what to say. They can say anything. I mean, they can say anything. It's a very it makes me sad because I am I, I am the least racist person. I can't even see the audience because it's so dark. But I don't care who's in the audience. I'm the least racist person in this room. Okay, Vice President Biden, Abraham, let me ask you very quickly, and then I have a follow-up question for you. Abraham Lincoln here is one of the most racist presidents we've had in modern history. I mean, my favorite part was when Joe Biden joked about him being Abraham Lincoln, and then Trump <laughs> didn't get the joke at all. and was like, what are you talking about? I never said that I was Abraham Lincoln. You're dumb. And it's like, <laughs> no, Joe Biden just made a really funny joke about you. <laughs> and when he said that joke, what else, like, what else he said in it, he was like, he's really racist. He's a racist person. He's a, like a terrible person. He's like, he called me Abraham Lincoln. He's like not even addressing the fact that he was called racist. It's he was like, he, he I take offense with the Abe Lincoln, sir. 
He it, couldn't like, didn't, understand the joke. He, he didn't, didn't understand. land because he didn't understand it, which is so annoying. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, like um, it is a very funny joke for him to be like, well, we got Abe Lincoln over here. <laughs> <laughs> which Trump has compared himself to Abraham Lincoln. Repeatedly. He did it two minutes earlier. He yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe he forgot he, he had said that. Since. Sometimes he forgets the sins. He means to say, like, since Abraham Lincoln, but sometimes he just includes Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think that Donald Trump won the minority vote last night. I, like, you know... Let's talk about I that. Don't. Do we think he won any votes last night? Eh, I We're not maybe, rushing to say no. Like, I don't want to say no. There are a lot of people out there, maybe. I watched, like, a, a focus group on MSNBC this morning with three undecided black voters in Georgia, two of them, they all said they will vote. And I think one switched to Biden and two still were undecided. So like, I cannot wrap my head around. And they were like, it's so disappointing that these are our two choices. And like, I just can't wrap my head around like someone seeing that. So like, I don't want to, I don't want to rule out that someone decided to vote for Trump because of it. Yeah, I think that if anyone came out of that, it watched that debate and is like, I'm going to vote for Trump now. I think that that person really was just looking for a reason to vote for Trump. Yeah. And felt like after the first debate, they didn't have one. And now because he behaved slightly better, they have that that like salves them. But I think there were just a Trump voter in disguise anyway. I think if you were, I think if you were an undecided voter, who was really caring about the issues, like who w- was concerned about healthcare or concerned about like coronavirus and cared about the issues and the responses. I think that they would, I think that they would switch to Biden because Donald Trump didn't, Donald Trump didn't lay out any plans, didn't lay out any, you know, future for what he wants to do as president. It's basically like his fan, he made $3.5 million in China or whatever it was and like just trying to like throw it but 5% of the 5 5% of the electorate is undecided they're trying to get 5% of people to vote so i really it's just right. about voter turnout anyways and we are seeing insane insane numbers for voter turnout like something like 50 million people have already voted like and yeah. that's a good sign i mean i don't know i think i think this has been but this fucking cake has been cooked and baked for like weeks yeah. maybe months well well the distinction between now and 2016 and the undecideds is that like i think hillary had unfortunately like a lot more strikes against her she was a lot more polarizing than biden like i think if people are comparing biden and trump like i do think that that it slants slightly in favor of biden at this point based on his performance in the campaign that he came across as like pretty steady biden i'm talking about and the fact that Trump, I think, has lost a little bit of his magic touch when it comes to like uh, winning people over. I think he, I think it's just not what it used to be. And that matters. Yeah. Yeah. And his argument is the same as it has been, which is I'm going to change everything and make things good again and drain the swamp. It's been four years and you haven't. And the thing, Trump cannot grasp that Joe Biden does not hold public office and has not for four years. He keeps saying, well, Joe Biden didn't do this. He's had a year and a half to do COVID. It's like, what are you talking what about? You, he's, yeah. a, he's a man. He's a private citizen. What is he supposed to do? Well, also no. when he's like, Joe Biden didn't change anything when he was when when he was there, he didn't change anything. It's like, OK, you're president now. Yeah, right. Right. This yeah. Minute. <laughs> also, I mean, nothing is funnier to me than when they bring up the swine flu. Oh, yeah. oh my god! I know it is someone. On, it is crazy to me that no one on the team has been like, you know what? I don't think that the swine flu thing is sticking or resonating <laughs> with people. I think it's actually making us look really bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know he just keeps giving them opportunities to say, actually, we did everything right. It's so funny because he's like, well, if swine flu had been as bad as COVID, it would have been really bad. And it's like, but it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) For a reason. Oh, my God. 
for the <laughs> final topic, because this is the first time in uh, U.S. presidential history that climate change was featured at a debate, which is crazy as like just an official time. topic. Just in time. I know. Great. <laughs> we're just starting to see the effects. So glad we're finally discussing this. But um, Biden made some waves by declaring that he wants to transition away from the oil industry over time. And Trump was like, oh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. What a statement. And I think Biden misspoke slightly. I think what he meant to say was uh, cut some subsidies and just disincentivize that that kind of energy. Um, Trump also claimed that that Biden basically like wrote and loves the Green New Deal, which is not accurate. Mm. I mean, it's fine the me if Biden wants to transition away from the oil industry over time. Right. That's also I, fine. <laughs> so. well, he explained it well with the way he did the fracking, like how like you 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 you, you scale it back. But you figure out a way to capture the emissions that are being released. And it's like, and when you hear that, I'm like, that makes sense. You know what I mean? And yeah. the, the oh, this is another thing. It's like polling shows that Americans want to move away from our dependence upon oil and, and natural gas. They want, we want clean air. Like no one is fighting. Like, like people want to breathe. Like it's such a yeah. crazy, like, oh, he doesn't want black smoke to be burned into the, <laughs> into the atmosphere and rip the ozone layer. Wow, that's radical. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think he's, I think Trump's just like, what are you going to do, Pennsylvania, like Western Pennsylvania voters? Like, I think he's literally just saying this for the sake of like very well, small the, pockets yeah. of the country that he wants to possibly win. Yeah. Biden, Biden wins Pennsylvania. He just needs to win a Michigan or an Arizona after that. And it's, that's it. I think that's what's freaking him out. And it looks like Pennsylvania is... I feel um, good about Pennsylvania. Sorry, Sammy. Sammy's like, don't talk about it. <laughs> um, breaking news. My parents just texted me that they are on their way to their polling place in Texas. Amazing. Wow. I am excited about Texas. <laughs> I know. Mm -hmm. And you know what I thought was interesting in that oil answer? He was like, Texas, listen up. Which made yeah. me be like, Trump knows that he's in fucking trouble in Texas. Oh, Yeah. Because I normally, like, a Republican candidate would not need to speak directly to Texas. But yeah, he knows that he's in fucking trouble in Texas. In Georgia, too. And, Georgia. like, you can see you're seeing where you, you can see where they're starting to throw their money. Biden's spending more money in Texas. Trump is like, oh, fuck, trying to spend more money in Trump's Georgia and Texas. It's, Biden you know, has, like, has. more money than he can use. Trump is spending more than he has at this point. And they so, are like, well, that's that tracks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> An interesting take I saw was that like, because the debate was like Trump's last chance to actually like take a stand and like sway people. And he missed it. The fact that it like was sort of like an unremarkable like debate overall. I think that like is screwing him up even more because now he doesn't have money to like, cure that by you know just pouring a ton of money into certain states he like his campaign is just like kind of a mess internally everyone's like looking for new jobs so mm -hmm. i feel like that's kind of like maybe the takeaway that just like he didn't sway many people maybe he swayed a few but like overall it was not there was no narrative really in his favor yeah we there weren't days. a lot of moments i can see them putting on an ad and them also having money to distribute those ads at this point. I also noticed a real difference in like their ability to actually be political about it. Because like you said, Trump kept being like, Texas, Pennsylvania, look at me. Biden would look at the camera and name half a dozen cities in, in Pennsylvania that I'd never heard of mm -hmm. because he's been campaigning for like his whole life. He knows, yeah. he knows the cities in Texas that this actually impacts. So We'll, well wrap it we up have, there. Yeah, and we have 11 days, and who knows what's going to happen between now and then. So, But I am very heartened that so many people have voted. Because, of course, 11 days, like, anything could happen. You never know. Something could happen. But people are voting, and you can't yep. change your vote. So that's good. <laughs> Reach out to people in your life. Make sure they're voting. Make sure they've got a plan. Yes, and uh, stick around. This. Stick around till the end of this episode where I interview Congresswoman Terry Sewell from Alabama about voting, about women's rights, about meeting the Obamas before they even knew each other. It was so fun. She was so delightful to have on and is like one of my favorite congresswomen. So stick around for that chat. Hey there, overwhelmed foodies. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same with the same fish picture? Fear not, because amidst the chaos, there's one shining star worth your culinary affection. 
Home Chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea. They're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes, conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you and the entire family covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week, and they serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it is economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. So for a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash feverdream. That's homechef.com slash feverdream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash feverdream. You must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Hello, and welcome back to the Betches Up podcast. I'm Amanda Dubrin, and I am back today with Representative Terry Sewell. Congressman Sewell represents Alabama's 7th District in the House of Representatives, where she has served since 2011. Thank you so, so much for joining us, Congresswoman. Thank you so much. It's great to be a part of your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. How are you? How are you feeling today, this this Friday before? We're about 10 days out. Days ago, right? I know. <laughs> No, I'm actually uh, very excited. Having watched the debate last night, I thought that uh, Joe Biden really uh, was speaking directly to the American people. Love the fact that he uh, made sure that everyone knows that he will be a president for all Americans, whether you voted for him or not. I think that that's so important. I think that, you know, we need a president that's going to unite us and not further divide us like this administration has done from day one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we know that 50 million Americans have already voted. Um, so people, a lot of people have their made up, minds made up. But were you happy with sort of the closing message that, that Biden presented last night? I was. I thought that it was the perfect closing argument. It's about restoring integrity. It's about restoring uh, decency back into the White House. It's about repairing our relationships abroad. You know, I sit on the House Intelligence Committee and I can tell you that our national security has suffered uh, from the fact that our allies don't feel like they can trust us. Um, And, you know, this is a a president that has cozied up to dictators like Putin. And I think that it's so important that we remember who our allies are and who will help defend us uh, in case of, of, of any breach of national security. These very countries that he's cozying up to are the very ones that are trying to sow seeds of discord in our elections. They're the ones who are trying to, you know, um, uh, you know, hack into our uh, election security and, and trying to mess us up. So look, I think that I think that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's administration will be uh, the administration that will make us proud. And when I think about the fact that Joe came out of retirement to run, why? Because we thought, uh, and from day one, you know, I, I represent Alabama, uh, not not quite a progressive state, but uh, um, that's okay. I'm a lone progressive voice in that state. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, I just thought that Joe could. Uh, given his years of service uh, and the fact that he's worked across the aisles and the fact that he is authentically who he is. You know, Joe makes no mistakes about the fact that um, that he may slip up. There may be a gap. But the reality is that I think all of us know his heart and we know that he will put America first and he will really restore the soul of this nation. Yeah, yeah. And I, I believe you are pretty longtime friends with both of the Obamas. Has it been fun to see them out stumping again? Absolutely. You know, I, I had the great pleasure of going to college with Michelle Robinson, as I knew her then, um, and uh, then to go to law school with uh, Barack Obama. Uh, you know, I had the great pleasure of being the uh, only member of Congress when they were serving that knew them before they knew each other. So that was pretty cool. Um, cool. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think that we long for a president like Barack Obama. We long for that administration uh, the decency of that administration. Um, you know, we're sick of fact-checking every time the president opens up his, President Trump opens his mouth up. And, you know, I think that we've really kept these fact-checkers uh, employed over the last four I years. I know. <laughs> truly, truly. Speaking of live fact-checking and uh, discouraging the sort of misinformation, a lot of what the president has done is about voting. So I'd love to jump into a topic that highlights a really present issue for all of us and is one hitting home for you. So this week, the Supreme Court granted the request of Alabama's Secretary of State and Attorney General to block a lower court ruling that would have allowed counties to offer curbside voting because of the pandemic. 
What does this mean for Alabama voters and how does it highlight what's at stake with the Supreme Court confirmation of Judge Amy Coney Barrett? You know, I am not only a very proud Alabamian, I actually am representing my home district. Uh, my district includes Birmingham, Montgomery, and my hometown of Selma, Alabama. I dare say it is the Civil Rights District of America. And when I think about the fact that uh, people like John Lewis shed a little blood on a bridge in my hometown for the equal right of every American to vote, it is not only deeply disturbing, it is downright un-American that the Supreme Court will be ruling, especially during the of this pandemic to uphold a ban on curbside voting in Alabama. Curbside voting is an option intended to accommodate those who are disabled and our senior citizens, those who are especially at risk because of this virus. In the middle of a pandemic, we should be making it easier for voters to exercise that fundamental right to vote and not more difficult. I am so uh, afraid that the Supreme Court nomination by uh, President Trump of, of Amy Barrett, you know, will further tilt the court uh, in the, the wrong direction. You know, when I think about all of the things that happened in the 1960s, from the Voting Rights Act of 1965 to the Civil Rights Act of 64 to the Fair Housing Act of, of, um, of, of 68, um, you know, it was really federal oversight and the federal judiciary, which really upheld and provided uh, the kind of, of a check and balance on the, on the executive branch as well as the legislative branch, you know. Yeah, in so many uh, in so many of those landmark cases, and when I think about the fact that it was a a young a Republican judge, a judge that was uh, nominated by Eisenhower, uh, Frank Johnson in Alabama, in Montgomery, Alabama, that had the courage to do what the law uh, needed him to do, and that was to provide an injunction so that those marchers could march safely from um, from Selma to Montgomery with federal troopers by their sides. Um, you know, we're going backwards and not forwards. I, unfortunately, I believe old battles have become new again. Uh, just stressing the importance of what's at stake in this election. You know, our democracy is on, uh, at stake and on the ballot uh, for the 2020 election. No person should be sitting on the sidelines. Voting rights is fundamental to all of us. Our voice is our vote. And none of us should let our voices be silenced in this election. And looking forward on how we can maybe address this in the future, as you mentioned, it's, it's odd to hear people like Judge Barrett refer to voting rights as, as policy questions or racial issues as policy questions when you've seen the court protect them uh, and take those steps in the past. Since the Supreme Court gutted key parts of the Voting Rights Act in 2013, which obviously has a lot of rich history from your district, you've sponsored legislation to restore it numerous times over and over again. I just imagine it's like on your to-do list every year. It's like, all right, we got to do this again. Can you remind our listeners, like what happens after you and your colleagues in the House pass that? And how would a Biden presidency and a Democratic Senate impact future attempts? Yes, you know, um, since the Shelby versus Holder decision in 2013, uh, which found unconstitutional section four of the Voting Rights Act, which was the formula to determine which states have had a history of voter discrimination and thus should have any changes in their laws pre-cleared by the Justice Department. Uh, that section five is the enforceability. So the enforceability is there, but section four is gone. So what the Supreme Court did is they challenged Congress to come up with a modern day formula by which to determine which states have had a history of voter discrimination. So my bill that I, I have been working on for the last six years and introducing, as you said, in the last uh, three Congresses. Uh, finally, in 2018, the American people put a check on the Trump administration by electing a House Democratic majority. Yay! Yeah. And finally, H.R. 4, we named it H.R. 4 because we're restoring uh, Section 4 of the Voting Rights Act. H.R. 4 passed the House of Representatives December 6th um, and was uh, sent over to the Senate side, which it languished on the desk of Mitch McConnell, along with so many other bipartisan bills. And in fact, our bill was bipartisan. We had a Republican congressman out of Pennsylvania that also um, that also voted for our bill. But you know, uh, the reality is that um, until we get a Democratic House, a Democratic Senate, and a Democrat in the White House, mm -hmm. can we fully restore the Voting Rights Act of 1965? We've been living under um, the the uh, 
you know, not having the full protections of the Voting Rights Act and lack of federal oversight. And what we saw immediately after the uh, Shelby versus Holder decision, 25 states, including the state of Alabama, instituted more restrictive voting laws. Many of those states were covered jurisdictions that would have had to have those voting laws, um, you know, reviewed by the by the Justice Department. They purposely waited until after the Shelby versus Holder decision uh, in order to institute them. And the state like a state of like, like Alabama made it more difficult to vote and not less difficult to vote. It used to be that you could have 15 forms of ID uh, to vote in Alabama. My dad in his latter years um, had a massive stroke and couldn't drive or walk and he was wheelchair bound, but he used to vote with a validly issued federal ID called a social security card. Everybody has them widely available, uh, but they didn't have a photo on it. But, you know, clearly people need to be able to identify who they are uh, in order to vote. But we're making decisions. State legislatures are making decisions as to who will have an easier time voting by uh, choosing what kinds of ID can be shown. Um, you know, some states have, like Alabama, you can show your fishing license or gun license or gun permit license, but you can't uh, show... Uh, an ID from from a, a state uh, a state a state university. Oh Those God. are the kinds of things that are really just incredulous. And the fact that the Supreme Court in the middle of this pandemic is not seeing that some of those restrictions should be relaxed uh, in, in the midst of this pandemic. No one's saying that one shouldn't have to you know prove who they are in order to vote. But we are saying that we should be making it easier to vote. Therefore, we should have more polling station, not less. These long lines that we're seeing in early voting, that's a form of modern day voter suppression. We no longer have to count how many marbles are in a jar, but we do still have modern day forms of, of voter suppression that's alive and well that need to be checked. I know that a Biden-Harris administration will take within its first 100 days uh, the restoration of the Voting Rights Act, and I look forward to being there to help them pass it. Yes, totally. As you mentioned, you're a bright blue light and a pretty red state. In fact, you were the first African-American woman to have been elected to Congress from Alabama when you did assume office. Um, as you mentioned, you know, because people refer to Alabama as a red state, even maybe candidates ignore it's the, the Democratic progressive voters there because it's just considered such a red state. But you, Alabama is also represented in the Senate with one Democrat right now, Senator Doug Jones. Yeah, and I, and I wonder if you could speak about how meaningful and important that actually is to have you know, a Democratic senator partner with you and you representing that area and why it is still so important and valuable to, you know, not just say Alabama's a red state and that's, we, we assume that we are defeated there. Why is it so important to continue to have a partner and a strong presence in Congress for Alabama? Very, uh, very good question. You know, um, uh, Doug Jones got elected in 2017 with a strong coalition. He overperformed in my district, which is the only Democratic district in the state of Alabama. Uh, but he also had an amazing coalition of suburban women, uh, moderate Republicans, and independents that really came together, showing that, you know, Alabama can be purple <laughs> in certain incidences. And he's working hard uh, to um, to get that same coalition out again this election, and we're helping him do that. You know, it was the Black uh, women vote that was so pivotally strong for Doug um, in, the, uh, in the 2017 election. You know, Doug has been an amazing partner with me. Prior to that, I I had a bit of trouble trying to get my really? colleagues on the Senate side to take up some of my bills like the Voting Rights Restoration Act and uh, other bills that were so critically important. But Doug came in and in two and a half years, he rolled up his sleeve. He's passed 21 bills. He's been an original co-sponsor on the voting rights bill, my, my bill. He's also helped me to secure additional funding for HBCUs. Uh, more money for rural Alabama, really rural America, yeah. for wastewater and sewer treatment, which is so critically important. He's also helped widows uh, with survivor survivorship uh, tax issue that had been, uh, you know, stymied on the Senate side for many years. He got that passed. You know, Doug has proven that he is uh, about one Alabama. He's putting people of Alabama first, which is what you would want your elect elected officer, uh, elected officials to be able to do. So he's earned the right to come back. You know, I really think that it's going to be really important that we understand that our vote does matter, even in Ruby red states like Alabama, that we can turn the tide. And if we can turn a, uh, a red state like Alabama blue uh, statewide, we can do it again. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's so important to consider when you, you know, I'm sure people think, well, I live in Alabama and Alabama always goes this way for president, but your vote, their votes can so move the needle on these things you're talking about that have a cascade effect in the the rooms where it happened. It's so important. Absolutely. Um, And you know, when I think about my constituents, the number one issue in the state of Alabama is expanding Medicaid and healthcare. That's what they're talking about on the stump. When I'm out and about um, socially distanced, wearing my mask um, and talking to my constituents, um, they're saying to me, you know, it's states like Alabama, those 14 states that didn't expand Medicaid, where we're seeing rural hospitals closing, where we're seeing uh, so many um, uh, working families lose their healthcare in the middle of this pandemic. And we see this administration going to court to take away people's health care. And that's one reason why they're rushing through Judge Barrett's nomination is because they know on November 10th, they will take the Supreme Court will take up the Affordable Care Act and its constitutionality. So much is at stake in this election. No one should be on the sidelines in this election. I hope that they will go to the polls and vote for Democrats up and down the ballot. Me too. Which reminds me last night, Trump did say, even though during the end of the hearing, some Senate Republicans were saying, no, 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 ACA is fine. I think Trump said during the debate, I do hope that the Supreme Court overturns it. So that's where we are with that. And they have not come up after 61 votes in Congress to uphold or to take away the Affordable Care Act. The Republicans in the last 12 years still have not come up with a replacement. The reality is that health care should be a right in this amazing country we live in, not a privilege for the few. It should be a right for everyone to have access to affordable health care. And that's what we should do to um, try to characterize, um, you know, the, the need for affordable health care uh, writ, writ large as something that's anti-American is just wrong. Um, you know, I think that Biden has cleared up this misconception that he's going to try to take away uh, people's health care. If you have your health care, you should keep your health care. But a public option would give those who are spending too much money on health care an opportunity to have subsidize health care. And it's a choice. And we deserve to have that choice. When I think about Alabama's bare bone minimum Medicaid uh, uh, program, in fact, an individual, a working mom with two children has to make as little as $4,000 a year, not a month, yearly in Alabama just to qualify for bare bone Medicaid. We need to expand Medicaid in Alabama. Doug Jones has been a great partner with me in that. And I know that Biden-Harris will uh, totally work to shore up the Affordable Care Act. So this is a very big picture question, but I find, you know, we're always in emergency mode with this president. And some of the issues that are so important to all of us aren't always the top issue of the day. But big picture, what is at stake for women and women's rights this election? And how do those stakes get higher for women of color? You know, when I think about the fact that this, uh, that old battles have become a new again, that's not just true for voting rights. You know, I know I look at my mom, who was the first African-American woman to be on the city council in Selma, a great role model for me, but it was her generation that fought for reproductive rights for, uh, for women and her uh, generation that really, uh, tried to uh, really move the needle in a positive direction. Um, They ushered in the first women elected across the board, you know, in such great numbers. But we're still uh, struggling to try to make sure that women have the the equal right to control their own bodies. We're still struggling to make sure that uh, pay equity is uh, top of mind in any administration, that, uh, you know, women should get paid for equal, uh, equal pay for equal worth, you know, and equal work. Um, That's so critically important. And it has been shown that it's when women issues are being addressed that we see a greater uh, movement in uh, so many issues that affect our family, everything from health care to child care. Uh, you know, when women succeed, America succeeds. That's just the bottom line. And I know that a Biden-Harris administration will, t- will take that to heart. Uh, I know that uh, that Biden has been a big champion for women's rights. You know, after all, he was the one who was a key sponsor for Violence Against Women's Act, uh, which was such an important um, uh, act that that set up these domestic violence courts that really helped to protect women and and our families um, uh, against domestic violence. The same is true with Kamala Harris, who's not only an amazing stateswoman, but she's also my sorority sister, and I'm wearing pink in her honor right, as a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, uh, and as a as a proud alumni of HBCUs. I think 
think that so much is at stake for women, for people of color, and I believe that the Biden-Harris administration will really put our issues top of mind and move our issues. At the end of the day, our issues are American issues. They're issues that that are of value to, uh, for human rights and civil rights and women's rights and labor rights. These are American values that we're uh, that we're fighting for that are so critically important. And finally, as you mentioned, your mother was the first black woman elected to the Selma City Council. You have a bunch of firsts in your biography. I think you've written books about black women's political power and influence. It seems like public service and a sense of duty is they've always played a big role in your life. Uh, We have a lot of listeners who are voting for the first time this year. So I was wondering if you could sort of if your first experience voting was was memorable uh, in any way and how you felt at the time. Well, the first time that I actually was involved in a political campaign, I was a campaign manager for my mother's first <laughs> council. Uh, you could kind of say that public service uh, is in my blood. Um, you know, I, uh, I think that people should realize that your vote matters. You're, the fact that you, if you don't vote, that matters. I mean, it's your inaction that's actually allowing others to control your voice. In this representative government, your voice is your vote and no one's voice should be silenced. When I think about a young John Lewis, and we renamed my bill HR4, it's now the John Robert Lewis Voting Rights Act of 2020 in his honor. He was a young man, a co- you know, in college at the time. My mom's words, when my mom, my mom who's a, 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 a librarian by, a, a, by a vocation, as well as a PK, a preacher's kid, she's always good for a Bible verse and for good yeah, yeah. But she says, that you can bloom where you're planted, bloom where you're planted. I say to all those first time voters out there, you can make a difference right where you are. We as Americans make a pact in this democracy and that pact is uh, fortified by your vote. That is how we in this representative democracy uh, actually make sure that our voices are heard. So don't think that you can't make a difference right where you are. Your vote matters in every election, federal, state and local. And as John Lewis said, the vote is the most powerful nonviolent tool in our democracy. Let's use it. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Congresswoman, and for your tireless efforts to protect voting rights for all of us. We really appreciate it. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman, and this is the Betches Sub Podcast. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Sean Kilby and Amanda Duberman. Our podcast managers are Mike Coscarelli and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send your emails to sup at Betches.com. Betches.